This is Preaching Carousel Weekend. What that means is in all of our physical locations, in each one of our services at those locations, we have a different person preaching. It's one of my favorite weekends of the entire year because we give people from the congregation who feel like God may have put in them the desire to communicate the gospel, the truth of God's words, uh, even if it's not what they get paid to do Monday through Friday, they get an opportunity to do that. And so I'm really excited. Uh, I, I can't wait to watch them all online. It's going to be great. But this is one of the few times during the year that I get to speak to only you, those who are part of our services online. I need to let you know, for my conscience sake, that the teaching today comes from an outline of one of the guys in our church uh, that's speaking in one of the services this weekend. Uh, I was traveling uh, last couple of weeks um, on a mission trip for Grace Church. I got back, <laughs> I got back about 28 hours ago. Uh, so I'm a little bit jet lagged. I was in Mongolia. So I asked him, I said, man, you're out. I heard him preach last night. And I said, dude, this is so good. Can I, uh, can I, can I preach, your, can I use your outline? Uh, to write my own sermon, but off of your outline. And he graciously said yes. So today you're getting to hear me preach my version of one of the sermons that were prepared by a team of 10 different people uh, this weekend. Uh, and we're in, we're in the second week of the series um, called Like, like a, good, a Good Neighbor. I don't know if you've ever had um, a bad neighbor or not. Uh, my wife and I live in Stoughton, Massachusetts, and we know a lot of our neighbors. We know the uh, the ones that live behind us. And last week in the teaching, I shared that one of our neighbors doesn't like us. And the reason why she doesn't like us is because of a bad experience with our dog. Billy Jane was in the front yard with the kids, and I was uh, here at work. And this lady pulls up into our driveway. We didn't even know that our dog had gotten off of her leash. But this lady pulls into the driveway, gets out, and she looks at my wife in front of my children and yells, you are a horrible person. You're a rotten human being. And then she takes our dog and she drops it on the ground in front of my wife and she goes, have a nice life, dog. Slams the door and drives away. So I slashed her tires. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I didn't I need to slash your tires. But ever since then, we've had this really awkward relationship with one of the neighbors that live catty corner behind us. In fact, a few months later, we were burning leaves illegally. I mean, I think you're supposed to have a permit. I was like, it's not, you don't go to jail for it or anything, but the, if somebody calls or if it gets out of hand, I don't know, they tell you to put it out and go get a permit. And sure enough, we think she was the one that called the fire department on us. It, it was not a hand, it was, the fire was about this big around. But she called the fire department on us. Now, thankfully, it didn't escalate from there and that was the end of it. But there are some people in the world that are a little bit more difficult to love. Would you agree with that? I think we could probably all agree with that. Maybe some of you would be transparent enough to say, I think I might be one of those people. <laughs> I got a friend of mine, uh, I'm not going to say his name, but he's a, uh, he's a grumpy Gus. That's what my mom used to say. You're being a grumpy Gus. He's a, he's a grumpy Gus. Glasses definitely half empty. 
and uh, he's a native New Englander, so he prides on self, himself on shooting straight, telling it like it is, even if it means sometimes you come across a little bit too strong. I think if he was listening to this service, he would go, yeah, I'm, I'm probably one of those people. Now, I love him to death. He's, a, he's like family to me. Uh, raised our kids together and everything. But he's made comments about he doesn't care who likes him or not sometimes. <laughs> I think maybe my, I have the exact opposite problem. I think I probably care too much what people think. Regardless of where you are in that spectrum, we've probably all bumped into people that we didn't get along with. How are we as followers of Jesus, if you're a follower of Jesus? If you're not, you didn't pick a bad sermon to be a part of, you get to hear us talk about what we think it means for us to be more like Jesus in the way that we treat other people. But I think there'll be some lessons in here even for you if you're not religious. Um, but they're, they're hard for us to, to be kind to. And in the second week of this series, we're gonna look at what Jesus has to say about those people. Uh, so we're gonna be in Luke chapter six, verse 32. Luke chapter six, verse 32. This is Jesus speaking, and he says, If you love only those who love you, what should you get? What what why should you get credit for that? Because even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good only to those who do good to you, why should you get credit? Even sinners do that much. And if you lend money only to those who can repay you, why should you get credit? Because even sinners will lend to other sinners for a full return. And he goes, now, for those of you who've been rescued from sin, who have repented of your personal disobedience towards God and your selfishness towards others, those of you who've committed to following me with your life, this is what he says, verse 34, or verse 35. To you, love your enemies. Do good to them, to your enemies. <laughs> I'm not going to like today's sermon already. I can tell. Lend to them without expecting to be repaid. Then your reward from heaven will be very great, and you will truly be acting as children of the Most High. Uh, Most High, For he is kind to those who are unthankful and wicked. You must be compassionate just as your Father is compassionate. I've got two truths for you, just to start off right out of the gate. The first is this. Anyone can love someone that loves them first. Anybody can do that. That's not even difficult to do. You love people that like you. I love people that like me. Everybody can do this. There's, there's no extra credit for being a good person to people that we already think is good. No credit for that. Um, the second truth is this, that it ain't easy loving those who don't love me first. So the first truth is anyone can love someone that loves you first. The second truth is it ain't easy to loving those who don't. So what I want to do in the teaching today is I want to share three ways to be more loving to those who ain't easy to love. The first is this, love them enough to listen. The first thing that we're likely to do when somebody that we don't like comes up to us is, well, I'm thinking through this personally. My body language does not open up to them. I'll do this, 
or sometimes if they're walking up to me like this, I'll turn sideways. And it's a it's a non-cognitive, it's it's an instinctive move that we all do, is that we physically protect ourselves from the people that we don't like. And the second thing that we do is we we tune them out. So when they come up and they start saying something, I'm not necessarily listening to what they're saying. I don't really care why they're saying it. And if they get aggressive with me, all I'm doing is I'm waiting for them to shut up so I can say something back to them. That's the way it is. And the truth is we're all busy. So I don't, I don't have time for people like that, right? Remember that meme uh, from the beginning of, of the pandemic? Uh, ain't nobody got time for that, right? Like I see people walking up to me that I don't like, and my first thought is, I ain't got time for you, man. I don't, not today, dear Lord in heaven, not today. I mean, not any day, to be honest with you. It's not like I'm going to go, okay, now I want horrible people around me. But that's what we do. We we tune them out is, is what we do. But Jesus is a phenomenal example of what it looks like to engage with people that we don't like. When you look at the life of Jesus, some of the more famous interactions that he had with people that he knew did not like him was, one was the rich young ruler, uh, the Pharisees who accused Jesus of breaking the Sabbath by healing on the Sabbath day, uh, Jesus in front of the Sanhedrin being questioned and then turned over to Pontius Pilate where he was famously questioned and interrogated. And in all of these situations, Jesus allows the other person to speak first. They speak, and then he responds. And in his response, what you'll notice is that Jesus responds by asking additional questions or clarifying questions so that they can share more information for him to listen to. Like, I I didn't even think of that. When I heard the guy in our church who wrote the majority of the outline and he shared that in the little practice sermon that he did last night, I was like, oh my gosh, I've never even seen that before because that is exactly what Jesus does. When people were antagonistic to him, he continued asking clarifying questions until he had enough information. Now, the truth is he already knew what was in their heart, but he's giving them the opportunity to share all that was in there so that he could respond appropriately to what they were asking or the motivation for the question that they were asking. And I was thinking, I don't think I ever do that. Like when somebody comes up to me that I don't like, my first instinct is, like I said, to physically uh, defend myself from them and then to do a rebuttal. They say something, I'm going to tell them why they're wrong. And I'm, oh my gosh, that is nothing like Jesus. Where the better response would be for me to listen to what they're saying. And if I don't understand it or don't agree with it, I can say something like, well, what gave you that impression? Or how did you come to that conclusion? Or how did that make you feel when that happened? Like, it's just, I'm not saying that what, I don't even have to admit that I'm wrong in order to, do, to ask for additional information and to give them the opportunity to feel like they've been heard. Like, I, that would be an easy, like, it's such an easy thing to do. So what if we were to begin to train ourselves that when somebody that we don't like comes up to them, 
comes up to us and the lady, <laughs> you are a horrible person. <laughs> you deserve to die. She didn't exactly say that, but that was definitely what she meant. And I'm not putting this on my wife, but and that's listen, I am so sorry for like whatever has happened. But what happened? Right? Like that, just giving that person the opportunity to vent. And then when they when they gush all of that vomit of ickiness, then ask questions that's going to get me to the truth behind the ickiness, I think would probably be the more enlightened, the more self-secure. That would be the more self-secure response uh, that would be if I did that. And we need to do this, one, to be more like Jesus. Two, to learn where they're coming from. Because three, unlike Jesus, we don't already know their hearts and never will unless we listen. And four, in listening, we may find out that we have more in common with this person that we formerly saw as an enemy than we thought we did. Yeah. The the second thing I think we need to do in order to respond to people that we don't like in a way that is more like Jesus is we need to love them enough to be honest. When you Google search verses about being a good neighbor, the running theme in all of the verses that show up are is honesty. Uh, it's phrases like, don't give false testimony about your neighbor. King Solomon said in Proverbs chapter 11, verse 9, and in verse 12, he says, With their words, the godless destroy their neighbors. It is foolish to belittle one's neighbor. A sensible person keeps quiet. Now remember, Jesus, in the story that we looked at last week, said that the neighbor was the person that you might be least likely to see as a friend. In the example that Jesus shared last week, talking to the Jewish man, it was the Samaritan, the bottom of the totem pole. It was that person. So when the scriptures talk about the way that we are to treat a neighbor, remember that Jesus said that your enemy is also to be considered your neighbor. So it's my enemy that I'm supposed to listen to, to seek to understand. It is my enemy that I am to not destroy. Scripture says that the foolish do this and that the godly do not belittle their neighbors. We don't look for opportunities to make even our enemies look bad. Psalm chapter 101, verse 5, the beginning of that verse says, "I." this is God speaking, I will not tolerate people who slander their neighbors. Now remember, every time you see the word neighbor now, because of Jesus, we have to insert the word enemy. I will not tolerate people who slander their enemies. Ah, that one is incredibly uh, convicting for me because there are people that I believe have, and I'm, I'm saying this honestly, I, like I genuinely believe that they deserve, they deserve my distaste. They deserve, they deserve me not liking them. Uh, and I, I really do believe that. But even for those people, if not especially for those people, God says, Sean, like it disgusts me if you slander them. Like you, you best not ever be caught saying something bad about your enemy. So if he says, 
I don't want you to talk badly about your enemy, and you talk badly about your enemy, then what would that be? It would be, it's sin. It's sin for you and I to talk badly, even about the people that we think are bad. That's, why would God, why would that be important to God? That we would listen to our enemies. That we would seek to understand where they're coming from. Um, that we would be transparent, honest, and vulnerable with them. To speak kindly of them. And I would imagine, first, it's because it's what he's done for us when we were his enemy. And we can't withhold to others what we've gladly received from him. But I also think that the motive behind him telling us this is because he might intend to use us to be a part of their rescue story, their redemption story. Have you ever met someone that you heard was a horrible person? Maybe it is your best friend's ex-boyfriend or your best friend's ex-wife and you heard they were rotten. And then you went to a birthday party and your best friend's ex-wife shows up with the kids. Maybe it's to your kid's birthday party, but she had the kids. He gets them for the weekend. He's at your house on a Friday night for your kid's birthday party. And his ex-wife brings them over to drop off the kids. And then you meet his ex-wife for the first time. And then your thought is, like, she's incredibly charming. Like, she's a, she's a, like, she's, like, she's not a dragon lady. Like you said she was. Like, I've, I've, I know of people that my friends don't like, and because they don't like them, I don't like them. And I've always said to myself that I'm being a good friend to not like who they don't like. Now, I'm not, I'm not saying that the response that I should have is that I should trust everybody. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that I've made enemies out of people that were never an enemy to me. But the truth is, when we get hurt by people, we are more likely to describe them in terms that exaggerate their meanness than what they actually are. Like there's probably been people that you used to hate and then you became friends. Maybe it's an enemy in eighth grade and you became best friends in 11th grade. Or in elementary school, you went to two elementary schools, but in middle school, you went to the same middle school and you sat together in homeroom or maybe even played on the same lacrosse team and became buddies. But you used to hate them in elementary school when you didn't know who they were and they were always on the other little league team. They didn't really change that much. You had one negative experience with them that then colored the rest of all of your other experiences with them and it gave you an inaccurate bias against this person. And truthfully, I think in that case, both of Jesus's encouragement to us, the two things I've already shared with you, would get us past those biases so that we could actually become a person who enters into the life of the other in a healthy and meaningful way to both of us. Uh, all of us are biased to our own experiences. And some of us have just met people on their worst day, like this neighbor, the neighbor who dropped off my dog and said, you are horrible people. 
have a nice life, dog, right? And then, and then sped off. We could have just, I mean, my other neighbors that live right behind us, I love them and they love her. Like when I found out that they're good friends with her, I was shocked. I was like, what? I don't know, like how can, you guys are cool. She is definitely not cool. She's so not cool, right? Like she's the opposite of cool. And, and you guys are friends with her? Like I, I didn't, how's that possible? They had more information. I mean, I don't know that it's necessarily that she is as bad of a person as I've always, I've always thought she was as much as possibly we just met her on an off day. Maybe she got in a fight. Uh, I did find out that on her street, her dog uh, the year before had run out into the road and she watched her dog be hit by a car. Uh, so it's possible that when she saw our dog, it brought up all those feelings again. And now, now that I'm talking about it, I bet you that's exactly what it was. Maybe, maybe she's actually not a bad person. <laughs> like right now in this moment, I'm having a light bulb moment that maybe she's actually a pretty decent person, but when she saw our dog, it brought up all that trauma again of watching her dog get run over uh, by that car. Uh, ah, yeah, I, I bet you anything that's why she was a jerk. Is uh, it just brought up all that trauma again, and probably would have been cool if I'd given her a second chance. Uh, to this day, we've only had um, one conversation. Uh, to this day, like this happened years ago when all three of our kids were small. Now I'm feeling like I need to do something. Um, I'm gonna keep preaching so I can skip over this and not feel personally convicted by it uh, anymore. Uh, but the truth is my opinion may be bent by an event that isn't typical of their character. And so I moved on into the sermon and just said something else that offended me about me. Uh, I, I need to keep moving because hopefully we'll get past all this. Uh, love them enough to give them the benefit of the doubt. Dang it. Like now I'm just preaching to the choir and everything I'm thinking now is personally convicting to myself. But listen to God's concern. Like I, I rewrote this guy's sermon. I knew what was going to be in here. I wrote like I, ah, uh, listen to God's concern for the loss of good neighbors. Psalm chapter 12, verse one and two. Help, O Lord, for the godly are fast disappearing. The faithful have vanished from the earth. Neighbors lie to each other, speaking with flattering lips and deceitful hearts. And we all lie, lie in all kinds of ways. We'll say things to a neighbor like, hey, let me know if you need any help. I'd be happy to give you a hand. And then we stay inside when we see them needing a hand because we know if we go outside, they're going to ask us to help and we're not going to want to. Right? Uh, or our neighbor has a dog that crawled under our fence and pooped on our back deck. Hey, did our dog, oh no, it's fine. It's totally fine. I, I love it when other dogs come into my backyard and, and take a dump on, on my back stoop. Thank, thank you for doing that. So we, we are not very honest and forthright in our communication with a lot of people. And it's not just with our physical neighbors. It's, it's, with, our, it's with our enemies. Remember every time it says neighbors, Jesus said that we had to include our enemy in that. So I'm not to be dishonest or deceitful, even with my enemy. I should be the one guy that all of my neighbors, all of my enemies, know that I can get a straight answer from Sean. Sean's gonna be truthful with me and Sean's gonna be kind. Like that's, because even Jesus's enemies found in Jesus somebody who was honest and somebody who was kind. 
because he recognized that behind every one of his enemies was somebody that was created in the image of God that he had come to die on the cross for. That's why Jesus was able to say on the cross, as he's being tortured to death by these very people, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. Can you imagine anybody more compassionate and kind than him? And if Jesus could take the wrath of God on my behalf, and I know that I'm never going to experience the wrath of God, then the wrath of a coworker, if that's the worst I'm ever going to face in this life, that's pretty easy path in comparison. Because there are those who will spend eternity suffering the wrath of God for the rejection of his son. So this life is the best they're ever going to get. And then there are those of us who've been rescued by the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, the Son of God. And so this life is the worst it's ever going to get for us. And if the worst is working with a jerk, then maybe in light of the fact that I'm never going to have to suffer the wrath of God, the wrath of you is the worst it's ever going to be for me, would give me the kind of encouragement to not respond in kind. Uh, be honest in all of your interactions with your neighbor and your enemy. Leviticus chapter 25, verse 14 says, when you make an agreement with your neighbor to buy or sell property, you must not take advantage of each other. So we're to listen, but we're to be honest. We're to conduct ourselves with integrity. We're not to cheat our enemies. We're not to defraud them. We're not to make things unfair toward them. You have somebody at work that came up with you who always undermined you every chance they get. If you ever get the opportunity to be their boss, you best use your authority and power to be a blessing to them rather than to pay them back. If you're a Christian, why? Because it's what Jesus would do. It's what God already did. God has authority and power over you. And even though you and I both know that we deserve the wrath of God because of our sin, he did not give us what we deserve. Therefore, in your attempt, if you are a Christian, to become more like Jesus, when you have the opportunity and the power to do so, you withhold. You show meekness in your strength. And you show mercy and your authority by not giving what you know they deserve. And you show grace, giving them what they didn't deserve because God showed us mercy and because God gives us grace. Also, don't be afraid of difficult conversations and say everything's fine when it isn't. Be honest. Love them enough to be honest, to handle yourself with integrity. Don't lie about how things are going with somebody at work. If things aren't going well, Matthew chapter 28, I have you read that on your own time if you want, or excuse me, Matthew 18. Uh, Matthew 18 is Jesus's prescription for conflict resolution. And essentially it goes like this. If somebody's offended you, you go to that person one-on-one -on -one to seek reconciliation. If they hear you, then you've won back a friend. 
If they don't, you go to somebody that you both mutually respect, and that person serves as a mediator for reconciliation. And you're the one who's responsible to set this meeting up. Even if they don't, you and I both are responsible to initiate reconciliation. Why? Because even when we don't, God initiated reconciliation with us. Like there's nothing God's ever going to ask you to do that he didn't already do first for your benefit. So all God ever asks us to do is to share with others what we've already benefited from, right? Like even, like everything. We forgive because we've been forgiven. Finances, we give to God from what God has already given to us. Like everything that God ever asks asks us to do is in response to something that he already did for us. So I don't think God's being a jerk to ask us to do for others what we let him do for us. In fact, I would imagine that to not do for somebody else what God has already done for you would be like the height of narcissism that you would expect that the sovereign God of the universe should do this for you. But you on the same level as your peer can't or won't do that for somebody else at your own level, that's, that, that, that's probably pretty offensive to God. Which is, I think, the reason why he speaks so often about loving and blessing our enemies. And the third and final thing, so one, uh, love them enough to listen. Two, love them enough to be honest. And three, love them enough to be available. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 28. If you can help your neighbor now, don't say, come back tomorrow and I'll help you then. God says, you, you don't put off the opportunity to do good for your neighbor. And remember, every time he says neighbor, Jesus said we had to include enemy. Don't say, I'll, I'll help my enemy later. No, if, if your neighbor needs help now, if your enemy needs help now, we're the ones that help out. We're the ones that, like, can you imagine the kind of effect it would have? If the person that felt guilty every time they looked at us because of the things that they've done, if we kept being nice to them, like Ricardo from the Avon location brought up that there's a verse that says that when somebody does bad, does bad do you respond with good because it's like heaping coals uh, of, of, of hot fire on their head. It's the thing that they can't ignore. They, they have to deal with this. And the idea that you would be continually be kind to those who've mistreated you is something they're not going to be able to get around. Like we, that was Martin Luther King's tactic, wasn't it? It was Martin Luther King that said, you can't drive out hate with hate, right? He said, you can't drive out darkness with darkness, only Light can do that. And you can't drive out hate with hate. Only love can do that. Maybe he was onto something. But he was a preacher, so I'm fairly confident he'd read some of the same verses we we're reading because it wasn't Martin Luther King's idea. It was Jesus's. Like Jesus knows that Acts chapter 2, the goodness of God leads to repentance. And the kindness of an offended Christian then would lead to reconciliation. 
Like where blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called, uh, blessed are the peacemakers, shall, for they shall be called the children of God. That, that's when we're most like God, is when we're behaving in ways that reconcile us to people that do not deserve reconciliation. And that's everybody on your list of people to hate. That's who it is. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 69 says, Remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You must each decide in your heart how much to give. And don't give reluctantly in response to pressure, for God loves a person who gives cheerfully, and God will generously, gener generously provide all that you need. Then you'll always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. God intends for us to be a part of his plan to change culture. And when we put ourselves in a position to give, not just to those that will give back, to give uh, not just to those who live nearest our neighbors, but when we also put ourselves in a position to be generous toward our enemies, God says, when you give, I'm going to make sure that I, this, it, 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 the passage is talking about finances, but it, it's a principle that when you give from what you've been given from God to others, God continually restocks your supply. You're going to find that when you remember how much compassion God has given you, that you're not going to run out of compassion towards somebody else. When you remember that God has forgiven you more than 70 times seven, then forgiving your brother 70 times seven isn't as difficult anymore. The problem is that when we feel that we've been loved little, we love little. But when we recognize that we've been loved much, we love much. We get a deeper well to draw water out of than the average bear. That's what that's a that's a yogi bear. It's my dad. He always say, better than the average bear. Right? He knows more than the average bear. Uh, he's he's more generous than the average bear. The well that we have to draw from and the way that we respond to other people, even our enemies, is deeper than the average bear. Uh, our actions create responses. And our generosity softens hearts. You may feel that God is asking too much when he asks you to love your enemies, but God is playing a much bigger game than you are. He knows a few things that you don't know. He knows that loving our enemies gives us the greatest opportunity to become like Jesus and to draw our enemies even to faith in Jesus as well. And only love can do that. I think this can start with a personal prayer. So we're going to pray here in just a second. What I'm going to ask you is I'm going to ask you to pray for your neighbor that hates you because of your dog. In fact, let's do that. Everybody bow your head. My example is the neighbor that hates us because of our dog. So when you think of your neighbor or the enemy, who do you think of? And I want you to pray for them. Maybe it is a coworker. Maybe that's the person you're praying for. Maybe you're praying for a brother-in-law who talks about you negatively to the rest of the family. Or maybe you are praying for your ex. 
Maybe you're praying for your manipulative, egotistical boss at work. Or you're praying for a partner that screwed you over. Or for the teammate that stole your starting spot on the team in travel sports. I don't, I don't know who the neighbor is that you see as your enemy. But I want you to pray for God to bless them because Jesus said to. Pray for your enemies. Love them. Bless them, he says. And I want you to consider that the next time you're around them, seek to understand before being understood. Find ways to demonstrate integrity in the way that you respond to them. Let them feel. Ask God for help in this. God, I pray that they would feel that I am for them, even if we're not getting along right now. Let them feel by the way I treat them that I genuinely want good things for them. Make that your prayer. And God, help me to make myself more available to them, to be a blessing to them. This is our prayer. We ask this in the name of Jesus, and we all say it together. Amen.